Hello, everyone. I'm Steve. And I'm Rob. And we are the hosts of the show 36 from the Vault on the Osiris Network. In every episode, we talk about a different volume of the Dick's Pick series. We had so much fun in our first season, but now we're really ready to settle in for our summer tour. When does that start again, Rob? Yeah, we're coming back on July 13th, coming at you every other Monday and covering uh, Dick's Picks Volume 10 all the way up through Dick's Picks Volume 18, plus a little bit more. Yeah, we're going to be doing another Curveball episode, and uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll be back with all your uh, favorite hits, such as uh, dissing songs that all deadheads like, like Mississippi Hapstep. nice to Mississippi half step however Tennessee Jed fans might want to beware <laughs> there's a lot of them yes well join us for the new season of 36 from the vault starting on July 13th and coming at you every other Monday on the Osiris Network Having a lawn is awesome. Maintaining it, not so much. It gets tiresome and expensive, and you should be enjoying it as opposed to constantly mowing it. That's where Sinlawn comes in. Sinlawn is environmentally friendly. There's no watering, no use of pesticide products, no mowing. It's very low maintenance, and you save money. Sinlaw uses bio-based ingredients such as soy and sugarcane. It's made in the USA in the state of Georgia. They're the largest manufacturer and installer of synthetic grass. And they have USDA bio-based certification. It's the safest and cleanest turf available. Great for kids and pets. You get no muddy shoes, socks, or paws. Professional and cl- certified distributors and installers nationwide. You get a premium quality product, which is highly durable and UV stabilized. You get your free time back. You can enjoy your yard instead of working to maintain it. And you can have it in your yard where grass will not grow. It's green all year. It's really great for residential homes, playgrounds, roofs, agility, golf. You want a golf hole in your backyard and and many more projects. So please visit sinlawn.com slash beyond. That's S-Y-N-L-A-W-N.com slash beyond. Get along you can be proud of all the time. Be proud of your neighborhood. Don't be that one guy in your neighborhood with the brown lawn who the neighbors gossip about over tea. Or even better, up your short game in a major way. Your golf buddies and your neighbors will thank you. Sin long.
Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 102 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands, because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. But sometimes Fish fans have a tendency to get a bit myopic. They listen to their favorite band, and their favorite bands alone can reel back dates, times, weather patterns, uh, anything involving a show that you name it, they can tell you where they were when it happened. And that's great, but there's a lot of other bands out there that they should be listening to. That's where we come in. That's where we come in, and um, in this extended off-season for Fish, where we don't have a summer tour, we will not have a fall tour, we will, I would say, 99% not have an MSG run, um, it's important to listen to as many other bands as possible, because at some point, Fish is going to come back. At some point, we're going to go back to some sort of a normalcy in terms of being able to see concerts and hear live music. And at that point, you want your whole world, musically speaking at least, to be that much more enriched, that much fuller, that much more vibrant because you've discovered other new music and can now share it with your fish-loving brain. And we bet that fish themselves haven't listened to plenty of other music other than fish in their quarantine. So, uh, yeah, it'll be some exciting times when uh, those first notes ring out, I it's what keeps me going. It's going to be great. So here in episode 102, we are going to address a wonderful, fantastic, fascinating fish jam from just about five years ago, the Kill Devil Falls from Atlanta, Georgia on uh, July 31st, 2015. One of our favorite jams from, I'll just say it, my favorite tour of 3.0. Dave, do you feel the same way about that? Absolutely. You'll get no argument from me. I think summer 2015 was the best tour from 3.0. Yeah, I love Fall 13, don't get me wrong. I love me some 2012. I love the Baker's Dozen. But man, oh man, oh man. Summer 15 was everything I've ever wanted from Fish. And this uh, jam came at a turning point in the tour. We're going to talk a bit about it. And then we're going to spin it out like we normally do and talk about some other music that we think relates to this jam in some ways. So, themes that you're going to expect to hear in this episode include Loose Limb Funk, the best album you discovered on social media, and was there a single bad show in summer 2015? That note, let's get to the fish. So, why are we talking about this jam? I mean, really, there's about 17 different jams we could have picked from summer 2015 for a walk down memory lane. But the Atlanta Kill Devil Falls is 22 minutes, probably the single best version of the song to date, so we opted to go with that one. And what's crazy about this jam is that they so seamlessly move out of Kill Devil Falls into a sprawling yet focused jam that you'd expect this was at least one of a handful of versions of 20-minute uh, jams, and that this is the only one is really kind of one of the few confounding factors of uh, Fish 3.0. Yeah, so the band moves out of the 
bar room rock stomp of Kill Devil Falls here into a rhythmic jam that would have fit in our last episode featuring a Fishman style breakbeat jamming. And the band seamlessly peaks the jam then in a style of tweezer reprise before segueing into one of the best Martian monsters that they've ever played. And of note, this was at a time when people were still excited to hear Martian monster. I think this was like the fourth version all time. I still like Martian monster, but I definitely get what you're saying. It's a gag. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, but this jam it's fully realized seems to confirm that summer 2015 was the peak tour People were wondering if it was going to be, and it raised the bar on Kill Devil Falls as a song. While it was one of the many original debuts uh, in early 3.0, it had kind of long ago at this point become a source of frustration for many fans for its lack of jamming, its overall predictability, and as a result, a 20-plus minute jam coming from it only added to the celebration associated with the jam and the larger show. Uh, I mean, while Kill Devil Falls still hasn't White become the jam vehicle many assumed it would be fun this performance it certainly has seen some uh, some good ones over the course of its 10 years of existence so some of those which we are going to uh, mention just include June 12th of 2009 it's uh, out of nowhere you get an atmospheric and ambient jam around 15 minutes in it's second ever performance you got May 27th, 2011, from Bethel Woods. It's one that strays into a quite gorgeous and blissful territory. Dix, 2011, September 3rd, 2011. It's a type 1 jam until it fades at about 3 minutes. It's very cool spacing jamming. Excellent segue into 2001. In 2012, you get a really great version to open up the second set on June 22nd in Cincinnati. This is similar to the uh, September 3rd, 2011 version has this wild 2.0-ish fade, and then it goes right into the, one of the best twists of 3.0. Uh, in October of 2014, the 28th to be exact, San Francisco, you get a patient and trippy jam that kicks off one of my favorite, and I think one of the best sets of 2014. Uh, and New Year's Eve 2015, you get kind of this compact type 2 jam right into Piper, kind of carried the torch slightly from the uh, version that we heard here in Atlanta. You got July 28th, 2018. Kind of at times it hints at the Canon Choctaw's torture. Somewhat of an infamous LA Forum show. The terrible set list, but outstanding jamming. And Ben Greenfield, certainly uh, the unsung hero of that show. He willed the band to great heights, Mr. Greenfield did. <laughs> so, now, <laughs> June 26th of 2019. It's uh, one of the more recent versions. Intense type 1 jam before a move back to a very laid-back and patient jam. And then uh, December 3rd, 2019, of, uh, the tiny Philadelphia show I was at. It's uh, the Kill Devil Falls in the middle of a tweezer fest. It's unfinished. It kind of goes into a nice major key jam. So stepping back a little bit, talking here about the significance of this overall show and this run. Um kind of a quick note here like simply put the world and the united states in particular is less than awesome at the moment uh we're in the midst of a pandemic with in quotes leaders so incredibly awful you could credibly accuse them of being pro-pandemic 
There's no fish tour this summer and really no live music of any kind to speak of, at least in venues. There are some bands getting creative uh, in terms of playing virtual shows. But we figured it'd be good here to bring back the good vibes, remembering the summer of 2015, which, you know, we're both kind of thinking like, (sighs) there was definitely bad news in the world. But it feels like an enlightened golden age compared to now. Barack Obama was still president. Fish was absolutely on fire. Um, I, I will note here, like this was the summer that Donald Trump as president became an actual idea that we had to accept as a potential reality. But it was so early in the primaries that everyone thought it was a joke, kind of like Kanye right now. And we figured it'd be this weird American oddity and Hillary would beat Jeb in 18 months. And fucking A, how little we knew. Aside from that, though, everything was great. Yeah, every night of this tour seemed to have some sort of magical jam that felt like a gift from the gods. I mean, the consistency was awe-inspiring. I mean, you know those, uh, like, Christmas Advent calendars you get when you're seven years old? I got one even as, like, a Jewish kid um, with a new <laughs> with a new, a new candy surprise behind each yeah. date. Oh, yeah. It kind of felt like that, you know? I do, I, I mean, do. Like every night you were like, this could not be a great show. And then they'd start and you're like, oh, they're playing great again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, of course, this is largely thought to be due to the fact that this summer tour started late because Trey was, of course, occupied with Fare Thee Well, the Grateful Dead's 50th anniversary shows. And this required a level of practice that left him extremely well oiled for the fish tour that was uh, was soon to come. Yeah. Just in terms of this show in particular, it's actually one of the stronger nights of the whole tour. I mean, set one, while flawed in a few places, has an excellent first quarter. You get a Prince Caspian fade into the third ever version of No Man or No Man's Land before landing in a very hot, uh, uh, hot type one version of Ghost. And then um, Mike Screw closes the set in raging fashion, but it's also humorous as they were making jokes about. Uh, some pacing that results in some very funny speeds played in the introduction and whatnot. Set two is a masterpiece on paper and in the ears. I think it's one of the best sets of the whole era. Uh, Kill Devil Falls, as we noted, jams for 22 minutes before fading into an extended Martian monster that has a weird little rotation jam that's cool. Uh, Twist then drops seamlessly into this gorgeous and blissful jamming which previews parts of the Man and Meriwether Post versions before segueing directly into Back on the Train, which will then segue directly into Reba. Late set re- set to Reba. I love that. Uh, yes. Bath of Gin. Bath of Gin closes the set with a fun and uplifting jam. Some two weeks before its fantastic Type 1 version will kick off August 12th, 2015. Um, I'll, I'll say it again. This is one of the best sets of 3.0. It's one of my favorite fish sets of all time. It just works. It flows. Every song choice is perfect. Uh, everything kind of feels natural, but also like the band is just like on fire. And you know, it kind of just feels like the three inning stretch you get with like Clayton Kershaw or get with like Pedro Martinez back in the day where like they're just nobody's hit getting a hit off of them it's just like everything is perfectly thrown um, it's like it's like Pedro Martinez coming out of the bullpen of game five of the 1999 NLCS just ALCS sla- ALCS yes. of course slamming the door just effortless slamming Unbelievable stuff. Um, 
Unsurprisingly, based on all this, this is one of my favorite nights on Fish Twitter. This was like early in my time, really spending a lot of time on Fish Twitter, especially during a tour. I think this was the first tour I was on there every night. And um, the band was on fire. They just moved to the East Coast from this West Coast run. This tour, if you remember, was structured very much like summer 2018 with a West Coast leg, Southern leg, and then they did a big East Coast tour of like classic venues. And we had a festival to look forward to, which we knew the band was going to crush it at. And um, I loved it. Met a lot of good people on there. I probably talked with Dave at some point on it uh, that evening and that tour. Um, this was obviously pretty beyond the pond. But Dave and I were talking before we went to record this episode about just how great summer 2015 was. And we wanted to do a fun little exercise here um, where we're going to go through every single show give a rapid fire account of what happened and we're going to gauge if this was a good, a great or a bad show. And we're, tr- we're out to prove something to you, dear mm. listeners. So stay with us here. So, um, kicking things off, the tour opened on July 21st in Bend, Oregon. I thought that this was a solid opener, uh, it had exciting debuts and blaze on no man in no man's land that kind of flirted with dancing in the streets as well as we groove. What do you say, Dave? I think this was a good show. Definitely a good show. Solid tour opener, good debuts. Remember when I heard Blaze On, I thought this kind of sounds like something that Vince Wellnick would play in the second set of a dead show in 95 and piss people off. <laughs> but I grew to love it. Good yeah, show. Very, very early, especially when what happened a couple shows later. Um, July 22nd from Bend. I personally think this is a heavily underrated show. I love this show. I think it works really well as a full show. Uh, unique pacing in set one. You get the debut of Mercury. Outstanding second set. Flows really well. Has a great simple um, and a bathtub gin encore, I believe. I personally would argue this is a great show. What, what say you? I would say good. Good Cut. show. Let's just take a pause and think about the awesomeness of being able to see fish in Bend, Oregon. Have yourself two fish and like fucking craft beer fiesta weekend (laughs) so they moved south from there july 24th shoreline amphitheater uh unique okay set one i don't think it's a bad set one i think they open up the show with a line though which i think offended a lot of people um set two though starts with a third quarter of uh you get blaze on light twist and then a fantastic hood later in the set I i think the second set is great. I think this is a good, great show. I would agree. Good, great. Fantastic second set. First set, no better than the fine. Second set nearly saves the day for all, though. It's that good. <laughs> Going forward, July 25th from the Forum in Los Angeles. This is kind of a rock show for Los Angeles. Everyone really seemed to like it when Martian Monster opened. I'd say this show is Good. I don't think it really stands out amongst the tour, but there isn't anything particularly offensive about it. I would agree. It's a Saturday night rock show. It's typically the type of show I don't return to. I wouldn't even recommend it as a barbecue show. So I would tend to go good, slightly bad, but I, I think it's still a good show. Okay. Getting to Texas, July 28th from Austin. Definitely some questionable choices in set two, but lots of really cool nine-minute micro jams, very cool nine-minute piper, cool 11-minute ghost that almost has some, like, country-fried licks towards the end of it. Still, 
not the greatest part of the tour. I would still put this as a, a good leaning towards bad show. I'd be on the same page with you. I think uh, it's. I think they tried some things that didn't necessarily work, and they're trying to be a little too gimmicky during this show. Um, and setlist wise, when you're seeing it come in in the moment, you're kind of like, okay, I could have gone with a different song. Yeah. July 29th, Dallas, Grand Prairie, Verizon Amphitheater. They've had some problems in this venue. I don't know what it is, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's certainly some precedent for what happened there in 2016. Set two of this show, I don't like it. I think it's bad. There's an okay chalk this torture into a pretty boring simple. Then it segues from simple into silent in the morning into the line. And then it doesn't really get much better from there. <laughs> set one is set one is good, but this is probably the closest you get to a bad show in 2015 summer. It isn't even that bad. I would agree. I think uh, yeah, I have nothing else to say. It's uh this is what this is what the floor is though for this tour. And I would say it's not a outright bad offensive show, but it is about as close as you can get from good to bad. So then we move to uh, the East Coast, 731 Atlanta. I think we've covered this. I think this is perfection. I think this is a great show. Easily great show. Yes, great show. The next night, uh, Atlanta. This has got a really, really big tweezer. Some cool little stuff in set two. I think there's a really good Carini at one point. Um, but overall, I don't think it's like the greatest show. I would say that this is just a good show. Good. Very solid. Not as good as the night before, but certainly no worse than good. I love the tweezer. I love how it goes into waiting all night. Um, that weekend closes out with a show in Tuscaloosa. I think it was our first time playing there in like 20 years at that point. Um Nice deed, nice down with the Z's. That's about it. It's less bad, more just okay. I would say that this is kind of a good, bad show, but not nearly as offensive as Dallas. Yeah, exactly. Good, bad show. Not as offensive as Dallas. Roll Tide. <laughs> that Tuesday night, though, we get, uh, I believe that this was first Fish, Fish's first show in Nashville. Uh, um, I don't the, know about Nashville definitely the first show at the Ascend Amphitheater. Sorry, that's brand, what I mean. Yeah, 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 at the Ascend Amphitheater. Brand um, new that summer. Brand new that summer. Uh, nobody really knew what to expect. It was a Tuesday night show, and they came out, and I thought they played an incredible show, incredible full show, uh, early, good, no men in no man's land, great Wolfmans. Um, fairly decent second set, but then Mike's song started up, and uh, Andrew Hits. Um, who's going to be a guest on the show here uh, in a couple of episodes. Um, We all know he had a conversation with Trey. Trey brought back the second jam, and uh, I thought for a second Twitter was going to collapse at that moment. Uh, Mm. Awesome week of Pog later. Uh, I think this is a – I don't think it's a great show. I think it has really great moments, but I think it's a good to great show. Yeah, would agree 100%. Good to great, B plus, A minus show. So you move uh, a little bit further west to Kansas City for the Wednesday night show. Uh, this is a excellent down disease, which I think we would agree elevates an otherwise average show to good. Yeah, average good show, excellent down with disease. Now, August 7th, 2015 from Blossom in Cuyahoga Falls. 
I think this is an outstanding show. It's got a kind of an old school flavor to the set list. And it has my favorite chalk dust torture of all time. It's not the longest, it's not the ragiest, but Trey just hits on an A major melody in the jam that just elevates me every fucking time I've listened to it. And boy oh boy have I listened to it a lot. And then it goes into a big old school tweezer which finds the band jamming their faces off in E minor. Anytime tweezer goes into E minor, that's a good thing. It's very 1993, 1994 sounding. I, I love the show. I'd say this is a great show. I completely agree. I remember couch touring this show after driving home from Maryland to go and see the uh, Alpine Valley shows and having an incredible time on my couch in my parents' living room watching this with my brother and my wife. And uh, yeah, killer, killer, killer show. Next, we go to Alpine Valley, north to Wisconsin, Appleton, Wisconsin. August 8th, Alpine Valley, the first night. Excellent, excellent first set. Maybe, um... Top three first set of the tour. Solid second set. It's a good show. This is a good B plus, A minus show. Maybe even like an A minus. I think that we've listened to different first sets because I, I think this first set's okay. Hmm. Um, All right. I, I loved hearing Mercury. I really liked the Reba possum mix towards the end. But Julius, Poor Heart, I was kind of, it just felt like a set to me. Um, but maybe maybe I'll re-listen to it. This was of note the only time in my entire 75 show history that I have been too drunk at a show. I mm. drove 12 hours from Maryland to Chicago, watched a fish show, drove to a fish show, <laughs> and uh, met up with some high school friends and was drinking like 8 9% tall boy Chicago craft beer like I could handle it and <laughs> it did not turn out very well <laughs> so are you drinking some pipeworks and I was drinking a lot of pipeworks with my buddy Kevin Sweeney and uh, at one point uh, yeah at one point a joint came out and uh this was like the one time I've ever treated a fish show like a party rather than like a true musical experience I have to uh, uh I have to like really take in. So I kind of have this, this show is like an asterisk on my career. Okay. Ninja versus unicorn plus joints plus high school friends. You're allowed. <laughs> it was a fun time. I just don't totally remember the show. All right. Next night, August 9th, Alpine Valley classic show. Lots of rarities in the first set. Really fun. Colonel Forbin's narration Second set had the great Franklin's Tweezer, which kind of had some Franklin's Tower elements. This is a great show. It's an incredible show. It's one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. I think it made my top 10 when we made our list for episode 50. Um, August 11th from Philadelphia. This is kind of less known than The Night Later, but still fantastic. You get a really big Fuego. Kind of started the trend of huge Fuego jams at the man. Uh, August, or I think it's a I think it's a good show what do you think i like this show a lot like you said less known than august 12th but you get the really cool um wasn't it like cities skin it back trip taking the first set first set uh skin it back martian monster skin it back. Oh, okay skin it back martian monster skin it back okay um excellent fuego like you said for some reason they always play fuego really good in july in philadelphia like fuego from the man in 2014 was also really good um, 
Very good show. Maybe not great. Very good. B plus, A minus. The next night, The Man 2. Not a lot we need to say about this. They just showed this on Dinner and a Movie and uh, got a ton of positive reaction because it was just fantastic to see a high quality 2015 show. Second set is near perfection, if not perfect. Um, it's a top uh, 10 show, a 3.0. It's fantastic. Yeah, this is great. This might actually be the best show of the tour. Um, it's it's fantastic. Uh, moving into the South, Raleigh, August 14th. Um, friend of the pod, John McGar, and uh, his brother-in-law came down to stay with us for the MPP shows. We ordered pizza, we had really good beer, and we were couch touring this show, and we just high-fived all night because we were like... Don't have to hear that song. Not gonna get that song. <laughs> it was uh, one of those like inside baseball, very cynical fish moves. I-, I think this is a pretty mediocre show. Yeah, it's not as bad as Dallas, but it's uh, not great. Don't think I'll listen to it more than twice, three times. The next night, though, Meriwether Post Night One, August fifteenth, twenty fifteen, uh, as we say here. Fuck yes, fuck yes, fuck yes. Fuck yes, fuck yes, fuck yes. Awesome show. Fucking awesome show. That was uh, uh, maybe one of the times I, I got too drunk at a fish show. I was uh, with my good friend James Ingalls, who used to live five minutes from the venue. Now he moved to Seattle, fortunately for him, unfortunately for me. And if you go to Meriwether Post Pavilion, um, a bar is not that far up the lawn. So he just left our pavilion seats and just kept bringing me stuff with vodka in it and I just kept saying thanks and kept drinking it and <laughs> the show would have been good either way it's a fantastic show but it was definitely a little touch inebriated at that show I it was the only show I've ever watched with John Hart and uh, I reconnected Susie and I both reconnected with Sam Timberg friend of the pod uh, for the first mm. time in 10 years of that show we met up with him in the lot uh, it was kind of like a weird Facebook message thing the week before where we were, he was like, are you guys going to the fish show? And we were like, Sam Timberg. And it's become one of my best friends in the last couple of years. So that, that was another addition. It was just like a killer all-around show. I finished it off at a great uh, little bar in Annapolis eating crab cakes and uh, drinking Natty Bo. Um, August. I, I think I had Korean barbecue after that show someplace in Ellicott City called Honey Pig. Fuck yeah, that's good. Good Korean barbecue. Um, August 16th, Meriwether Post. This is the rare instance where the Sunday show is not as good as the Saturday show. This is less bad, more okay. I think it's an objectively good show. It's a really good set list, but kind of boring. Um, Yeah, I think it would have been, might have been received better if Saturday wasn't so good. Like, it's kind of sure you look on paper and you think, all right, this is objectively excellent, but it's kind of very staid performances of good songs. Yes. Any show that has, like, a down with disease into Slayer to the Traffic Lights, like, how bad can it be? Right, right, right. It's a good moment. The twist is really nice, and I remember, like, when the live fish showed up, it said that it was um, only, like, six minutes. I was like, wow, it was one of those songs that felt like it was at least an 11-minute jam. So, uh, good moments inside of a show that it, it just felt like everyone was a little bit tired from the night before. The night before was such a party. Um, 
We moved then to Magnabol. Uh, this is one of my favorite fish experiences. This is whenever I talk about Magnabol now, though, I get sad because I think about my friends like Dave, who could have gone to Curveball three years later, and uh, I cannot imagine the experience of getting shut out of Magnabol. Um, <laughs> August 21st, Friday night. This was my wife's birthday. Uh, it's also Trey's daughter's birthday. They sang happy birthday and I had everyone around us sing my wife happy birthday. This was my favorite show of the festival. I love the whole second set and uh, it was just a killer show overall. I thought this was great. Yep, easily. It's a great show. I like 822 better, but still uh, 821 is great. August 22nd is my favorite fish day ever. I've never had a better like full fish day like that. Like it was 12 hours of fish. Uh, first set was very much of like a barbecue set. Uh, not a ton going on in there. Some good moments. Um, scabbard. Scabbard. They wish they would bring that back. Uh, <laughs> set two is uh, on paper pretty awful, but uh, in the ears, really incredible. Set three is mm. great. And then the drive-in jam is one of the most accomplished other than the uh, tower jam um, uh, secret sets that they've ever played. It was incredible. 822's got it all. Yeah. I mean, that's one of their best three set shows ever in terms yeah. of a complete fish diet totally summing up 2015 it's almost i wouldn't say it's as good as december 31st 1995 but it kind of accomplishes a similar thing uh, i see what in you're terms saying of being top to bottom awesomeness and very much representative of the summer that preceded it yeah you want to know why fish had great moments in 3.0 especially 2015 here it is yeah that's a good point mm. uh august 23rd sunday night I felt this was kind of similar to August 16th, the second night at Meriwether Post. I thought it had a better second set, but um, I didn't totally love this show, and I haven't like, gone back to it. The Down with Disease is really cool into Sense and Subtle Sounds, but aside from that, it was just a good... I thought this was a good fish show, a good closer. Um, that You enjoy myself with gigantic uh, uh, fireworks going off as the, the encore was a good touching moment. Salad B, like you said. Yeah. Not bad at all. Certainly the weakest of the three, relatively speaking. We're almost, we got three shows left. Thank you for indulging us here. We hope you're having a good time. All right. And we've got September 4th, Dicks, Dicks Night One. This show had the first truly jammed out Golden Age, excellent plays on. Interesting in that it's kind of like the first Friday Night Dicks show at zero in terms of uh, like spelling hijinks, which. You know, we kind of understood why they would do that. So, uh, I like the show quite a bit. I think I like the second night a little bit better. Yeah. But, I mean, first night at Dick's, Friday at Dick's, you can't really go wrong with that. This is no worse than, like, an A-minus show. Yeah, I think this is good. I think it has a really cool jamming within it. And, um, yeah, Friday night at Dick's is one of my favorite nights of the year. It's one of the saddest nights I'm going to be this this, uh, upcoming year. Mm. September 5th at Dick's. We love the second set. Yeah. This is a very good show. Yeah, I think this is very good. I think it, it borders on good to great because the first set is so-so. Second set, though, is incredible. And then we close the summer out with 9-6, uh, Sunday Night at Dick's. I thought Fish swung for the fences, sometimes a bit too hard. Overall, you get, like, the landlady. You get a really weird-placed uh, Seven Below, like a weird-placed prince caspian second set has like greatest hits there's like a disease as well as a piper as well as a carini as well as a tweezer uh the down with disease is unbelievable 
It's one of my favorite solos and lead pro- lead parts of any summer 2015 jam. And then, of course, you get the encore that's Thank You inside of oh, the Harry. Oh, right. Inside of the, this, uh, is the, Haipua. this is the United We Stand, Divided We Fall. Thank yes. you, encore. Yes. Right. Just like... Cute. I, it felt like such an earnest and sad goodbye to summer tour three uh, to like the best summer tour of 3.0. And um, I, I absolutely loved everything about this, uh, this, this encore. It felt so special and uh, really kind of put a stamp on what the tour meant as well as what dicks means. So thank you all. Like we said, for indulging us here. I think that we had one, two, three, three, four, five, six, seven great shows overall. And only one, two, three, four, five bad ish shows and the rest being good. So that is a really good ratio for us here. We, we did, we did good here. It is the most excellent batting average. We love this tour and we also love what we're about to play to you. A segment of uh, the Kill Devil Falls from Atlanta, Georgia, July 31st, 
know that we have a lot in common with our listeners and that we are middle-aged guys with beards. So we say to those listeners, how much could you save in one year by switching to Harry's? Enough to buy 26 cups of coffee in New York City, enough for three deep dish pizza dinners in Chicago, enough to pay six months of your Netflix subscription. How? Harry's delivers high quality razor blades as low as $2 each, a fraction of the price of the leading brand and saving you hundreds of dollars over time. I used my Harry's razor this morning. I like the grip, I really like the scent of the shave gel it comes with. It's just high quality blades. I mean, I've got a beard, but I cannot countenance a neck beard. I've got to have clean lines. And frankly, that's what I get from Harry's. I get clean lines. Get a Harry's trial set delivered to your doorstep by going to harrys.com slash BTP beyond the pond. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just two bucks per blade. Cut out the middleman manufacturing blades in a German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. Harry's is super convenient, has all your grooming needs in one stop, and you can feel a little bit better about your purchase because 1% of all proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better mental health care for men and veterans. To help support those who need it most right now, Harry's has donated a million dollars worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S., so listeners of Beyond the Pond can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash BTP. You will get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich, lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com slash BTP to start shaving and saving today. Get rid of that neck beard, guys. People don't like it. You think they do, but they don't. So, we wanted to talk here in our initial segment about a uh, part of the jam that we both really like. And it kind of ties to our episode uh, in 101 that we did with uh, Wade Wilby on Breakbeats. Uh, and that is the loose limbed funk. You know, we were thinking about um, the drumming of John Fishman. Maybe it's just kind of where our head's going right now. But, man, he just owns the middle part of that jam before they go into the tweezer reprise uh, section. It's fantastic. So um, I am going to talk here about a album that is filled with loose-limbed funk. That is Miles Davis's 1972 album, On the Corner. And I will feature the song One and One. So this album is one of Miles' best experiments with jazz fusion. Record was inspired by the work of Sly and the Family Stone, James Brown, the experimental compositions of Carl Heinz Stockhausen, as well as Paul Buckmaster and Ornette Coleman. Of note, specifically, Stockhausen's work with electronic music and tape manipulation greatly influenced Davis at the time, and he applied what he was learning from Stockhausen by adding and removing instrumentals and uh, other elements to the recording to create a progressively changing soundscape. He realized he never wanted to play from eight bars to eight bars again because he never actually ends songs. They just keep going. Uh, on this session, John McLaughlin and Herbie, Can Herbie Hancock play. Uh, however, the album doesn't credit any musicians to make each instrument seem less discernible to critics. Part of the goal of this record 
was for Davis to now reach a younger African-American listener who had left jazz for funk and rock and roll. In turn, it was one of his worst selling albums of all time, mainly because Columbia's marketing inefficiencies and it was destroyed by critics upon its release. It was called the most vilified and controversial album in the history of jazz. And Stan Getz said it was worthless. It means nothing because there's no form or content and it doesn't swing. Much of this was the larger backlash in the jazz critical community around Bitches Brew and Jack Johnson, many saying he'd abandoned his talents and was pandering to commercialism. Rock critic Robert Christgau said that jazz fans weren't receptive to the sound because the improvisations were rhythmic rather than melodic. According to many jazz fanatics, this completed Davis's journey from icon to fallen idol. And I'm currently going through a massive Bob Dylan listening project. And it's just wild to think that this was the exact same shit that happened when Dylan went electric in 1965. And it's like any artist that branches out from their initial, you know, grace period of fantastic music just gets eaten alive by their own fans. In 1972, Miles Davis said, I don't care who buys the record so long as they get to black people. So I will be remembered when I die. I'm not playing for any white people, man. I want to hear a black guy say, yeah, I dig Miles Davis. Of note, this was Davis's last fully realized studio release of the 70s as he focused on haphazard projects while recording live shows um, before retiring from music in 1975. Within time, On the Corner has been properly celebrated by listeners, musicians, and critics alike. It is considered a landmark statement and a foreshadowing of funk, jazz, post-punk, electronica, hip-hop, directions that would just go off of this record over the next few decades. Already shifting, Miles barely plays trumpet on this record, opting instead for the keyboard. Yet another huge uh, revolutionary moment for him. A few of the session musicians within the overall project commented that this was their least favorite Miles Davis session because of how chaotic it was. So as you can tell, this is just like there's a lot of opposite feelings. It's very different from what we were talking about in terms of summer summer 2015. This is a controversial record, but it is a fantastic record. I've been listening to it a lot this entire week. And speaking of loose-limbed funk where the drummer dictates the flavor of the tune... Let's go ahead of here and let's listen to one and one off of Miles Davis's On the Corner. Thank you. 
Okay, Brian, thanks for that. I've uh, certainly loved me some Electric Miles Davis. Not too long ago, I was listening to um, Pantalas, the Bill Laswell like remix album. It takes elements, I think, of On the Corner, Bitches Brewing in a Silent Way, and kind of remasters it and like, like throws it together. Got two stars and downbeat when it was released, but it's really good. So I'm going to talk about something entirely different. I'm going to talk about uh, a band from Brooklyn called Wrighton, spelled R-H-Y-T-O-N. They have a new record out called Crater's Call. The song I'm going to play is called Bowl of Hygieia. Uh, like I said, this is a relatively recent release. I think I was made aware of by both uh, Jeff Conklin from Avant Ghetto and accounts that I follow on Bandcamp. A bunch of them seem to purchase it. So they're a Brooklyn-based trio that are at their core a guitar, bass, and drums funk band. Although uh, the guitarist, David Shuford, also plays some electric mandolin on a few songs, and he also cut his teeth in the awesomely scronky improvisers No Neck Blues Band. So if he's <laughs> on board, you know things are at least going to be a little bit abstract. And uh, the bass player, Jimmy Satang, notes in the liners that he plays in Alembic Bass. So, there's some hippie-ish undercurrents at work here. Of course, Alembic being um, the Bay Area crew responsible for Jerry Garcia's guitars, and I think Phil Lesh's bass. I think like that weird, like, light-up bass that he's so fond of using, that's an Alembic. If I'm incorrect, please tell me. So, uh, to me, writing kind of sound a lot like a band that would have been on a label like Thrill Jockey or Sub Pop in the late 90s. They certainly have uh, some tortoise and the scronkier moments, but more than anything else, they remind me of uh, Bill Dolan and Leroy Bach's late, great 90s band Five Style, who are basically a jam band with some underground street cred, so it was okay to like them. <laughs> but uh, Five Style's two studio albums, 1995 self-titled and the extremely awesome Miniature Portraits from 1999 kind of accomplished what uh, Wright is doing here, which is offering a winking, somewhat off-kilter funk key, uh, off-kilter funk songs in major keys, off with some Middle Eastern stream music influence, and in the case of the penultimate track, Bowl of Hijay, which we're going to play, what kind of sounds like a hipster funk band attempting to cover a Dickie Pets Allman Brothers song. The closing track, Sky Gazing, kind of sounds like the Rose City Band, Opening track, The Art of Trip, sounds like Can. Drummer Rob Smith is laying down some killer break beats. Kind of like the whole album smacks of like, and anything goes, loose limb funk that, you know, like we've been saying, has a not so distant cousin in the effortlessness that uh, John Fishman portrays on stage every night. And really, this is an album for people who uh, enjoy the improvisation and depth rhythm games you often find with jam bands but have no use for the frequently awful songwriting and lousy vocals which accompanies same. I know uh, there were some vocals on the last two writing albums. This one's all instrumental, and I think we are better for it. I'll also say uh, 
My 14-month-old daughter's face lights up and she totally starts shaking her booty whenever the slap bass on Bola High J comes in, <laughs> which is great because it means that she's doing something for seven minutes other than crying her face off. So <laughs> let's listen to Bola High J from right in off of Craig's If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring me happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things that you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly over phone or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I've been using BetterHelp for the past few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. So why not start today? Join the over a million people taking charge of their mental health. Go to betterhelp.com BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com BTP. All right, so moving here into new album recommendations, and the theme continues. There is so much good music being released in 2020. It's 
it's kind of odd to think about all these records that are going to be quarantine records, but they're all so good. But you almost wonder like, what if these albums came out in 2019 and we could like live and absorb life with them? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's so weird. (laughs) This record I'm going to talk about, um, another theme that we just released like three episodes ago, our top albums of the year so far. And I would argue most, both of our, uh, uh, top fives, top tens have perhaps rotated over in some weird ways. There's so much good music that I've added to mine. Um, this record's in my top 10 at this point in time of the year is Ezra Feinberg's recumbent speech. Um, quite frankly, the, the work of, Feinberg's former band, Satay, could have been featured in the next segment that we're going to talk about, as I have the clearest and best memories discovering them via social media forums in 2009 and 2010. But I'm really happy here to feature recumbent speech in the slot. As like I said, it's one of my favorite records of 2020. And to the point of what I was just making, like this will always feel like a quarantine record in the same way that like Matt LaJoy's Everlasting Spring will, this is like a respite from what's going on in quarantine. This is a peaceful album. I love it. Features uh, his Cite guitar partner, Tim Green, as well as some of our favorite musicians, Chuck Johnson, along with John McIntyre of Tortoise on Drums. It's like a super band jam for indie jam heads in some cases. Just really collaborative fantastic artists all over it. Really beautiful stuff. The appeal to this record is simple for me. Feinberg's guitar work is outstanding and lush and melodic and beautiful and atmospheric and pleasing. It's exactly what I need right now. I think it's exactly what we all need right now. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know my tastes. This is a shoe-in record for me. There's not a ton I need to say aside from listen to this record and prepare to be transported to a blissful zone where COVID-19 no longer exists, where backyard fires with your friends are a norm and a reality, and we're all able to take in concerts and live music again. I love that record. That's uh, I agree with everything Brian said about that album. The title track, which is the last song on that album, is especially building and transporting, and yeah. I, just, I just fucking love it. So I'm going to talk about something that's different kind of transporting, I'm going to talk about the new record from uh, Sonic Boom called All Things Being Equal. Now, Sonic Boom is the nom de drone of uh, a guy named Pete Kember, also known in the 80s as Mainliner, one half of the songwriters for uh, the legendary late 80s psychedelic drone band Spaceman 3. Of course, uh, the other key member of Spaceman 3 being Jason Pierce, went on to uh, relative fame with Spiritualized. Uh, Spaceman 3 never quite achieved Spiritualized levels of popularity when they existed, and they're kind of even more obscure now, given that none of the records are on streaming services, and I think some of them are uh, even out of print. So, as one might guess from uh, Spaceman 3 album titles such as The Perfect Prescription and uh, The Odds and Sods Collection, taking drugs to make music to take drugs to. They certainly ingested and wrote about psychedelics and sadly in some instances harder substances, which is a subject certainly that uh, Jason Pierce certainly continued and spiritualized because every spiritualized song is basically about drugs or uh, like unrequited love. <laughs> but 
In terms of Pete Kember, so Sonic Boom, the stock and trade is kind of a type of hazy, droney psychedelia. Lots of reliance on analog keyboards and his chanted vocals. And up until all things being equal, his last proper solo album actually was released 30 years ago. But in the interim, he's really uh, he stayed busy as a producer for those musicians who value a thick wall of expansive drone. I think most notably, uh, Noah Lennox from Animal Collective, a.k.a. Panda Bear. He had a sonic boom on board for both the Tomboy and Panda Bear Music Grim Reaper albums, as well as uh, Beach House's awesome Seven album. And he also produced stuff for Dean Warm and Britta Phillips from Luna. I know he did some uh, production on the weirder MGMT albums. Man, these are like right up my alley. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. No, you'd uh, you'd be into this record. But uh, yeah, all things being equal, it's his full-on solo record, and he delivers the goods by playing to his strengths. It's droney, it's repetitive, wall of sound, psychedelic album with appropriate song titles like I Can See Light Bend, I Feel a Change Coming On. You know, it's one of those records you put it on, ingest whatever you got to ingest, dim the <laughs> lights, everything else takes care of itself. It's exactly what you expect and need from this guy, and that's perfectly okay. Just another few words about Sinlon. Sinlon's environmentally friendly. There's no watering, it's water conservation, no use of pesticide products, no mowing, super low maintenance, and you save money. Sinlon uses bio-based ingredients such as soy and sugarcane. It's made in the USA, down in Georgia. They're the largest manufacturer and installer of synthetic grass and have a USDA bio-based certification. This is the safest and cleanest turf available. It's great for kids and pets. You get no muddy shoes, socks, or even paws. Professional and certified distributors and installers are located nationwide who deliver a premium quality product that's highly du- durable and UV stabilized. Free time is at a premium these days. You really should be able to enjoy your yard instead of working to maintain it. You can have it in your yard where grass will not grow. It can be green all year. And it's great for residential homes, playgrounds, roofs, agility, golf holes in your backyard, and many more projects. So... Go to sinlon.com slash beer. All right. So segment two, we wanted to talk about the best album you have discovered via social media. And the reason for this, I mentioned this when we were talking about the Kill Devil Falls. Uh, that was my favorite night on uh, Fish Twitter. I just it, it was one of those nights. Everyone was so happy. Everyone was constantly chit-chattering. Um, if you had told me 10 years ago how much joy I'd get of being in basically like a public chat room with a bunch of strangers <laughs> talking about fish, like I've always loved internet forums. I've always enjoyed the in- interaction with people via that medium. I've learn a ton. There's something really cool when you like break down, not actually knowing someone, but like just judging them based off of what they say and engaging with people that you both agree with, but also disagree with, uh, just really, 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 uh, uh, excellent, um, 
way to interact with people and get to know people and understand the human condition better. And that was one of my favorite evenings I've had on there of just talking with people, uh, really, you know, celebrating fish, really understanding the band better in some ways. So we wanted to take this from a step back and talk about, um, records and bands that we discovered via social media and, uh, give a shout out to those people as well as talk about the music. And I'm going to talk about, I was thinking through this, like I've spent probably 20 years in either fish forums or on Twitter. And, uh, I've I've heard of a lot of great music. I've received a lot of really great albums. There were people on fantasy tour that would just like pass out killer records in, uh, 2009, 2010. But I think my favorite band that I've discovered and favorite music I've discovered via social media has to be Garcia peoples. Um, I wanted to play this album. I didn't discover based on social media. So I am cheating a little bit, but I did want to play. I'll explain why their union pool set from March 10th, 2020, the song spiraling. So like I said, I've discovered a lot of bands via the internet. It's kind of the greatest thing I find about the internet aside from just like constant information. Um, and I've had a lot of moments where I've logged on for a day checked out a record that I trusted that a trusted source has recommended and then been transported in the fall of 2018. This happened with Garcia peoples chatter had kind of started online earlier in the summer as they played some phenomenal shows at union pool, but really picked up based on the release of their excellent record cosmic cash that fall, as well as some killer shows opening up for Holland rain on the West coast. Add in some serious jam sessions on archive.org. And I just had to check them out was completely transfixed by the music that they were making, the guitar-driven, jammy without resorting to the unce jams style, great songwriting, and the ability to jam in new inventive ways. I was just sold completely. Their 2019 was incredible. They played multiple residencies, released two killer records, backed up Chris Forsyth a ton, and played with Riley Walker. It was just like the kind of year any band would dream about, uh, and it felt like they were going to take this huge step forward in 2020. I could talk about a ton, a number of their sets, uh, particularly March 29th, 2019 or October 3rd, 2019. Those are two of my favorite live sets of the entire year. I could talk about the one step behind record, but I really want to highlight their killer set from March 10th, 2020, their last show before the shutdown and the last weekend when any of us believe life and concerts would happen again in 2020. I highlight this because it makes me sad, but also hopeful. Garcia peoples, like so many young bands, deserved a huge 2020. They deserved to play out West. They deserved more residencies. They deserved a chance to prove themselves as growing artists, perhaps fall on their flate, perhaps fall on their faces and perplex their audience, more or less see what they could be outside of New York City. Where this set from March 10th doesn't go deep on jams, please see March 29th, 2019, September 13th, 2019, or October 10th, 2019, if those if that is what you're looking for. It does feature, however, some of their best songs as well as some of their newer songs. It's a great snapshot of a band in transition, fully confident in what they've made thus far, but ready to take another leap. Big shout-outs to John Hart, Jeff Conklin, and NYC Taper for introducing me to Garcia Peoples, posting about them playing their music, uh, linking to their music. If you haven't listened to them, may this performance convince you of their brilliance. 
And one last thing, please don't forget about bands like Garcia Peoples amidst all the insanity of our time. They are going to need our love and our support once this is over. So without further ado, I'm going to play the spiraling off of Garcia Peoples Union Pool set, March 10th, 2020. Please buy this set on Bandcamp. feel about Garcia Peoples. I uh, love them like Brian does. I think they're supposed to have a new record coming out in the fall, so I'm sure we'll certainly uh, talk about that when it comes out. I imagine it's very good. But yeah, like a lot of bands, they deserve to kick ass across the country in 2020, but I'm confident that they will uh, still do so someday. So kind of like Brian, I'm going to talk about an artist that I've certainly mentioned before in the past on Beyond the Pond. And he just put out a new record, so I figured that was a good excuse to do so again. Of course, I'm talking about a guy named Luke Elliott and his second album, The Big Wind. And we're going to play the song Carolyn. So, in terms of social media, this is a bit of a stretch. But for the longest time, I was following on Twitter uh, the Chicago-based music writer Greg Cott. And kind of in time, just by virtue of following him, I realized that he had a podcast with a fellow Chicago music scribe and part-time college teacher and investigative journalist, Jim DeRogatis, called Sound Opinions. Uh, I think Sound Opinions comes out weekly, and it lives to do deep dives into music. Not unlike this podcast, albeit with uh, somewhat more experience, which comes with age. So, 
Usually once every six weeks or so, Sound Opinions has an episode devoted to what they call buried treasures, or artists that reside somewhat outside the mainstream, or even outside of like a, a Pitchfork-type website, often sent into the podcast by fans or simply given to them via word of mouth. And I mention all this because the Sound Opinions buried treasure special, I'm convinced, is the only way I would have ever heard about Luke Elliott, who was um, Jim DeRogatis featured three years ago. And he's since gone on to become one of my favorite artists, and not even an artist who usually makes records for buried treasures as they're anything but lo-fi. His 2017 album, Dress for the Occasion, was actually my favorite album to come out that year, and it was a considerable hit in Norway. Um, <laughs> Luke Elliott, he grew up outside Princeton, New Jersey, but I think Due to a chance encounter with a Scandinavian publicist, he's really made a huge splash over there. He's built a life in Norway. I think he married a Norwegian woman. He had a child. He lives in Oslo. And he even has a full Scandinavian tour lined up for the fall because unlike in America, they actually beat back coronavirus because they aren't led by assholes. All of which brings me to his uh, delayed second full-length album, The Big Wind. I think as of this podcast is about two months old. It's a little more sedate than the comparatively rowdy dress for the occasion, but all of his hallmarks are in place, namely his expressive baritone, which is certainly drawing comparisons to Nick Cave and Leonard Cohen, and his excellent piano playing anchored by all manners of string orchestrations and drama. He uh, still portrays himself in his videos and album artwork as a bit of a Cigarette smoking dandy, kind of always wearing a suit of some sort and surrounded by model-esque figures, but it's a part he was born to play and he's got the songs to back it up. And everything really like a perfect world pre-COVID, he should at least be popular enough in the States to sell out like a 2,000 plus capacity venue like New York Speaking Theater, you know, putting him on a level with say somebody like Rufus Wainwright. But Actually, I mean, for him living in Scandinavia, it seems like he's getting the last laugh at the moment, <laughs> if, if you catch my drift. So, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Carolyn off of Luke Elliott's The Big Wind. I can wait in the back or sit with you in the front. You can live like a queen, I work in the heat like a grunt. a big deal out of playing pretend Carolyn I don't care what you did or who you did it for You can take what you want I'll find new ways to make more Things don't have to go according to plan, Carolyn.
right, guys. Thank you so much for hanging with us here in episode 102. We have another episode coming to you next week. We're so excited for you guys to hear. And then uh, we've got a couple special episodes coming up in August. Got a really cool guest joining us in August. And then um, a few traditional episodes here in the fall as we kind of weave our way into fall and winter. Uh, And who knows what's ahead of us, but uh, we're going to keep recording this podcast as long as we can. Um, So in terms of the songs that we played here in this episode, in section one, Loose Limbed Funk, uh, I featured Miles Davis's On the Corner, the song One and One. Dave featured Wrighton's Crater's Crawl, Bowl of Hygieia. Hygieia? Hygieia? I don't know if that's a real thing, but that's the song title. Got it. In segment two, the best album you discovered via social media, I talked about the Garcia Peoples, the spiraling off of their Union Pool, March 10th, 2020 set. Dave talked about Luke Elliott's the Big Wind, the song, Carolyn. So as a reminder, you can find us all the time on social media. Twitter, at underscore beyond the pond. Sometimes Brian tweets, sometimes I tweet. It's uh, usually Brian. I definitely get my licks in there. You can find us on Spotify at um, the Beyond the Pond podcast song master playlist. It's gotten quite unwieldy, over 600 songs at this point. Of course, Spotify is great for auditioning. If you hear something that you like, please go to Bandcamp and buy it. Go to the band's website, buy a vinyl, buy a t-shirt. Spotify is good for auditioning, but you got to buy the shit out of that stuff. So, please visit and listen to the other fantastic Osiris podcast, Osiris Media. You can find all of them in one convenient place at OsirisPod.com. Leave us an iTunes review. We like reading them. It helps increase our visibility in Tim Cookland. Haven't seen too many lately. Seriously. Read them. I'll take photos of them and text them to Brian. We'll have a good chuckle. We absolutely will. Uh, so publishing structure, like I said here just a second ago, we're going to have another episode coming out next week. We're on kind of an every other Tuesday, but sometimes we throw a third episode in there in the month. We're just having a lot of fun doing this. There's uh, not a ton going on outside of, well, I guess there is a ton going on. Um, yeah. But we're both home a ton and uh, it's good to just kind of sit down and record. We've got a lot of really good ideas coming up here over the next few months. And if you made it this far, we thank you very much. We understand that people really aren't commuting these days, and you've got lots and lots of podcasts to choose from that fit into your quarantine schedule. So if you listen to Beyond the Pond, we thank you heartily. So come back next week, I believe, and uh, we'll have something good for you. We'll hold hands. We will sing Kumbaya and fight fish myopia. And as always, we Go beyond the pond. The Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media. It is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.